Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast. I'm Sarah F. Decker. And I'm Oliver Brady. And in this podcast, we talk about movies, TV, and books that depict the medieval world in both historical fiction and medieval-esque fantasy. We talk about what they get right, what they got wrong, and what they tell us about how modern people see the medieval world. Now, I love medieval movies, and this is the, the standard intro for the podcast, and I'm a dude, which means I love watching movies where people get stabbed. That's probably a little bit uh, sexist or even just stupid to say. But Sarah, why did you decide to do the podcast? Because you're not quite as you know bloodthirsty as I am. I mean, I enjoy some good stabbing as much as anyone else. Um, but I decided to do this podcast because I'm professionally a medieval historian. I have a PhD in medieval history and teach pre-modern history courses at the at a university for my job. And really am interested in the ways in which these movies affect how people see the Middle Ages. So my students come into class thinking about the medieval world and based on things like this movie that we watched today. Hmm. And as I like to do at the start of every podcast, um, I like to say that things that I know about the medieval world, uh, number one, uh, it's Prima Nocta was a thing. It was uh, not. Number two, <laughs> Sarah, please, <laughs> movies haven't lied to me. Um, number two, um, what's the best way to describe this? People just randomly kill peasants, uh, as we know. And number three, <sighs> all of our famous heroes were complete dicks that one might be true which leads us to today's movie which is introducing and it's our first movie that features our second or sorry our second but my second favorite literary hero or famous historical factual human being <laughs> uh robin hood yes uh, which version of robin hood are we looking at sarah so this is the 2010 version of robin hood starring russell crowe Russell Crowe, or as I like to call him, that dude from Gladiator. I think his name was Gladiator. I hate Russell Crowe. It is irrational how much I hate Russell Crowe. Sarah, why do you hate Russell Crowe? Why do you hate that lovely man? I just I just don't think he's a good actor. I thought he was actively bad in Gladiator. I also don't think Gladiator is a good movie. Um, when I watched Les Mis, I literally almost cried when I heard him attempting to sing because he can't hit those notes. And the only we time I've ever... them in our blood. Ugh, when he's just 2, 4, 6, oh, 1. And that's like the first, <laughs> his like opening line in the movie. And it's like, I could just, I could sing this better. I can hit those notes better than Russell Crowe. He's not a very singy singer. That's, that's what I'd say. <laughs> he is not. Um, what is it about the awesome Oscar-winning, amazing movie Gladiator that you don't like, Sarah? I mean, the historical inaccuracies are one part of it, but I also, part of it is just, I think that he is basically just a wet blanket of a main character and that there's nothing interesting or compelling about him and I just don't care about his story or whether he does well or succeeds or doesn't die you, at all. You don't, you, don't, you don't care about Gladiator, the Spaniard, Maximus Decimus Meridius? Husband to a mom. No, I'm wife. I'm rooting for Commodus. Father to a murdered child. I'm rooting for Commodus. <laughs> He's going to have his vengeance in this life or the next. Like, I, how do you not care? I I think you know. I think Emperor Commodus is like clearly the best part of that movie, and I'm I'm rooting for him. I want him to succeed. Well, but we're not talking about Commodus 
or Commodus, as I have incorrectly called him many, many times <laughs> in my life, because I've got a stupid Irish accent. So we're not talking about Commodus today. We're talking about Robin Crow. Robin Crow. <laughs> Russell Crow as Robin Hood in the Ridley Scott directed 2010 Robin Hood. And uh, he's a dick in this movie. Yes, he is. Um, but he's not just any dick. He's made Marion's dick. Yes. Maid Marion played by the ever-excellent Kate Blanchett, although I think she may represent one of the things that Sarah dislikes, which is a modern feminist-type character just inserted into a medieval world. Yes, I am a bit grumpy about Maid Marion's character in this movie, um, or I guess more like matron-widow Marion in this movie, um, but we'll talk about that more as we go on. That's the dream. Yeah. Um... We also have Max von Sydow not playing a bad guy, which I was, I was surprised shocked by. at this. Yeah, this I was. I, I think I was actually more scared by this than anything else that I've seen in the horror movie this year. I was like, when when's he gonna turn? Right, Sarah. When's he gonna when's he gonna turn evil? Like, surely he's the bad guy. I know this movie is really inaccurate, but I don't think there is going to end up being Nazis in the in twelfth and thirteenth century England. The question is. Does he play the same character as this as he does in future episode Solomon Kane? Oh, he might. Yeah, maybe Maid Marion is Solomon Kane's sister-in-law. I nearly said brother-in-law. <laughs> <sighs> I can't even claim it's tired. Like I'm tired, but anyway, let's move on. Uh, then we got um, if we, if it wasn't going to be Max Van Sido as the bad guy, we have Mark Strong, or it's not like to call him Mark Bad Guy as Sir Godfrey. Who, to the best of my knowledge, is a character who never existed, so they just made him up for this movie. Yep. And all of the shit that he does in this movie, which is just fucking weird. <laughs> and he looks very evil while doing it. Good job, Mark Strong. He does look. Of course he does. It's Mark Strong. Even when he's playing a good guy, you know he's evil. Oh, it's, yeah. It's like, ah. Oh. Um, then we got Mark Addy, um, Robert Baratheon himself as Friar Tuck. Um, and we get to... One of my favorite quotes in any movie later on, Sarah. I know Sarah loves it too. Yep, very exciting. But uh, the one thing I will say now is that I think uh, Friar Tuck and Robert Baratheon have very similar drinking habits. So that's fun. That's true. And I imagine they're both as religious as each other. Just about. (laughs) Which is to say not very. Uh, Then we have William Hurt, um, excellent Oscar winning, uh, amazing actor William Hurt playing William Marshall. um, Because I don't know. William Marshall needs to be in this movie for reasons? I mean, I'm not going to complain about the fact that he was in this movie, because... No, he's good. He was he was good, and he is one of the best parts of this movie, in addition to the talented and gorgeous Oscar Isaac as Prince and then King John. Jesus, guys. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched an Oscar Isaac movie with a lady, um, Sarah, clearly a lady, but... If I need to hear about how sexy Oscar Isaac is one more time, it's like, ah, oh, I mean, I know he's the bad guy, Ollie. He's very sexy. He really is. He is very I'm sexy petulant. in this movie. He is. He almost makes me like King John. It at the very least makes me want to watch the scenes with King John much more than the scenes with Robin Hood. Take up your lawful wife and save England. My lawful wife is as barren as a brick. Is that truly the wife you want for me? Hmm. You, who honoured your husband with eight children, so that even now, when death has taken the rest, you have a king and the runt of the litter to call you mother. 
Mm-hmm. Now, then the next thing that comes up, and this is something which, uh, when I'm editing this together, I'm going to go back and check, is we have Leah Sidhu, um, who we have actually talked about before during the Braveheart episode, because I said her career path has followed Sophie Marceau's from yeah. um, Braveheart, in so much as they went on to do a Bond movie after doing several French movies, and then kind of disappeared. Right. Right. I am now starting to think that not only does her career path, I think her path in this movie follows the path of similarly named Isabella in Braveheart because I don't think they actually use her name in this movie. Oh my God, they don't? I am almost certain that at no point is she actually referred to as Isabella. God damn it. Of course she isn't. Um, She's referred to as the king's cousin at some point. That's at least how she's referred to in the credits. No, she's she's definitely referred to as the king's cousin or the king's niece, I think, is what they yeah. call her. At, yeah, at the beginning of yeah. the movie. Because um, the next person who's in, uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine, amazing, amazing actress. Um, Eileen Atkins is playing her and she does a fantastic fucking job. She is amazing. Right? She is amazing in this movie and she's the best thing in this. Um, she says you're throwing away your marriage that I went to the trouble of setting up for a French chit. On certain thoughts, I think it better that you do hear what I have to say, though I will not have you in my presence. Mother. The purpose of my being in this room is to save the realm from the consequences of this unsuitable amusement. Her uncle is the bloody king of France. C'est vrai. My Get uncle down. is... I think she says. Oh, dear. <laughs> then he says, and then he says, this French chit is the French king's niece. Right. Uh, and then at that point, I don't think she's actually referred to by name. Oh, God. Know. It's also awkward no, because like, check, his but... other wife that he then annuls the marriage to is, I believe, also named Isabella. Good job. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing that um, English kings are clearly on to is the French girls named Isabella. Right. But that's our cast of characters. Yes. Pretty much there's other people there. I mean, we do have, um, if you're a fan of Pride and Prejudice, uh, Matthew McFadden is in this. Right, yeah. It's, which version um, is he in of Pride and Prejudice? He's in, he is in the one directed by Joe Wright. Is that the one with Karen Knightley? From, that's the one with Karen okay. Knightley. He is playing Darcy in that Okay. One, right? He looks very handsome. It's basically poor in that movie. Um, it's like, like chaste. Not actually touching, but there's an awful lot of scenes where it's raining on them. So it's like heaving. So like first so like point. first night where just everyone is very wet. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's a bit like that. Only only like actually I kind of get the impression that they totally would have banged in Bright Prejudice. And I don't think they would have <laughs> first night. They banged off screen um, in Pride and Prejudice. They probably they probably did. Um if Kira Knightley stopped doing her bloody <clears throat> teeth thing. I hate, I hate when she does. But <laughs> we're going to enter into the first part, which is where we recap the movie. Now, we're going to try and move through this one a little bit quicker. I was, yes. <laughs> I listened back to last week's episode there. And I think we said at the beginning, we won't be taking so long with this movie. And then proceeded to spend 50 minutes discussing, <laughs> discussing <laughs> last night's and what happens here. So we'll try and, and move through a little bit quicker in this. Right. I, I, I know, I know the people listening probably enjoy it because, you know, it's better than them watching it. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's a good point. We're suffering through these movies so you don't have to. Exactly. And 
I will probably interject with some thoughts that I have about the historical inaccuracies because there are just so many that I just can't keep I, quiet about them. I know this. I know for those of you listening again that we we have a section about historical inaccuracies. I think Sarah's not going to be able to not. I I can't. I them. I can't save them all. This might as well be called historical inaccuracy in the movie. Yeah. Um, which is funny because it's made of basically a made up character. Um, right. But still, we're still going to get it. Um. So <clears throat> our first section is the recap. And we have Latin names for them because we're all fancy and also because Sarah speaks like 57 languages. So um, I'm going to sing the intro because we still haven't managed to sort one of those out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is Enumeratio. Enumeratio. Cut that. <laughs> no, it's, it's improving. So the movie starts 1199 where Robin Longstride, clearly not a made up name. Nope, that's definitely a real name that everybody has. Exactly, and he's not Robin of Loxley, he's Robin Longstride, very, very specifically Robin Longstride, and he's an archer for or in the army of King Richard the Lionheart. Yes, he is. Sidebar, Robin Longstride in, totally sounds like a porn star name. Robin Longstride does sound like a porn star name, possibly not uh, not a successful one. Yeah. It's chest. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Russell Crowe would be a very good porn star, so... No, Robin <laughs> Crow on the other hand. <laughs> Robin Crow is going to... Super poor star. Yeah, he's going to be great. Super poor star. <laughs> right. Um, now, this is 1199, so I think we can get into our first historical inaccuracy here, Sarah. Um, yep. What was Richard the Lionheart doing in 1199? So, okay, Richard the Lionheart actually is in the right place in 1199, which is uh, at the castle of Chaloux, um, fighting against the French, um, because basically some of his French vassals, because a ton of France actually belonged to the kings of England, um, are rebelling against him. The problem is that it implies that he literally just kind of popped over there on the way home from the Crusades, and that mm-hmm. he just brought the same army along, which is off by five years ago or so. Um, and uh, in fact, anyone who had went with him on crusade, there's no—I mean, there's no particular reason to think anyone who went with him on crusade would be with him again in 1199 in this particular fight. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much. It really does heavily imply that this is, we're on the way back from the Crusades, lads. Let's stop off in France and beat some people. It also doesn't um, really imply that they're rebelling. It implies that he just wanted to kill them. I mean, they're actually his own on, vassals, and he has a kind of good reason for being there. Yeah, that's literally it. It's like, I'm, I'm on my way home. Might as well kill some of these Frenchies on the way through. Yep, as um, you do. But he's presented as being very brutal in, in, in battle and taking as much as he can from the surrounding countryside. Uh, Robin Hood, um, or Robin Longstride at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And he is drinking and I was going to say whoring, but we don't actually get to see any women because it would be too much to have women in this movie. Nope. Um, he, uh, even if they did have, you know, classic uh, medieval fantasy setting where, you know, they're either whores or ladies, right? But he is grumpy. He gets into a fight. Richard comes down and stops the fight. Right, because he's randomly walking around with the civvies in the middle of his army, mm-hmm. and then he says, "Yeah," and he says to uh, Russell Crowe, "Tell me what you think of me." And Russell Crowe, playing Robin Longstride, rather than saying, "I think you're the best king that ever lived. I love you, my king. I want to kiss your feet, my king," says, "Oh, you're a bit of a prick." Are you honest enough to tell the king something that he does not want to hear? What is your opinion on my crusade? 
and God be pleased with my sacrifice. complains about his conduct during the Crusades and the fact that he was killing, I believe, Muslim civilians. Uh, given Crusade yeah. propaganda, that's not something people complained about, really. Um, the Muslims yeah. are the infidels. You don't go off and go back home and say, oh, I feel so bad for the Muslims because of how people are awful and who then took religion very seriously and thought that the Muslims were basically evil because they weren't Christian. Wait, are you telling me people back in this time actually took religion seriously they did they might not in this movie in this, but in the real late 12th it. early 13th century they did hmm. so we then obviously have been introduced to robert Langstrad, who is a brawler a man of honor somebody who'll stand up to the king but also very clearly not a nobleman he is not he's just a random enlisted man and then we jump back to i was going to say jump back then we jump to england where we find Richard's mother, um, nice lady, uh, Eleanor of some Frenchy place. Eleanor know. of Aquitaine. I don't I've never even heard of this woman. I don't even think she's she's probably useless. She's probably like the worst. She is ever. the best historical figure, and we will be talking about her a lot because she is I've, amazing. Eleanor of random Frenchy place, and she is outside king or well, he's not king john he's just prince john's room at the minute and prince john's wife is sitting outside <laughs> while prince john is busy now sarah rather diplomatically wrote down sleeping with isabella of dangulme or Dulem. Dangulem. um that's what i said yeah uh, <laughs> <Dangulum>. <laughs> uh, he ain't sleeping oster isaac is getting the job done yes your Majesty, an English princess shut out of her husband's bedchamber by a piece of French pastry. Aren't you ashamed? Shame is surely his. Then go in and tell him. Which she's described as the niece of France, as we said earlier, and was she? She's his, I think I calculated, I went through this, and it's his first cousin once removed. Uh, so yes. not quite niece, but they are related. And she, in fact, was not necessarily super happy about the fact that uh, she started hooking up with King John when she was supposed to be marrying somebody else and that he then annulled his other marriage to marry her. Also, yes. So in this, yeah, so in this movie, 
Leah Seydoux and Oscar Isaac are a relatively age appropriate, are a very age appropriate couple. I actually looked up their ages and I think they're like four or five years apart. In reality, Isabella Donjulem was at the time that she met and started having sex with King John and then married him about 12 and he was in his 30s. So old enough yep. to be her father. Classy. Good stuff. Charming. Uh, ancient medieval period. <sighs> but we cut back to an attack on the castle of Chalice. A chalut, as I'm going to say it, because I like, to be, I like to be corrected mm-hmm. by you. Um, <laughs> and at this castle, Richard is killed. Right, He's surrounded by a group of knights who also get killed. Robin uh, Longstride um, is there, and he fires some arrows, which is good, because I like to see my Robin Hood firing arrows, because that's the entire point of the character. You will not see him do so again for several hours. I would say we will not see him have a bow in his hand until the last action scene, I think. Pretty much. Which is literally two and a bit hours later on. Um, But he fires some arrows, saves some people. Turns out he doesn't manage to save the king. um, And he also doesn't manage to save another person whose name is Robert Loxley. Yes, and Loxley, for those of you who are familiar with the Robin Hood legend, might seem like a familiar name because Robin is usually Mm. Robin Loxley, which is a thing that Mm. I always in particular remember because, weirdly, I grew up in a neighborhood called Sherwood Forest and one of the streets is Loxley Lane. You grew up in Sherwood Forest? Yes. (laughs) Oh, you look so bougie. Like, there's no way poor people ever lived in Sherwood Falls. So. It's not that fancy of a neighborhood. But. It sounds pretty fancy. But he grew up in Sherwood Forest, and he gives... So this is Robert Loxley gives his sword and the king's crown to Robin Logstrike and says, make sure you drop this in in London on the way. But... Then the fates... The fates have smiled on me. Take the sword to my father. It will bring me peace. Robin has an idea, Sarah. And what's Robin's idea? So his idea is, obviously, if we just show up as obvious common soldiers, they will assume that we stole all of this nice stuff. So let's basically pose as these noble knights, these kind of members of um, his of Richard's guard. And so that's what they do. They, in fact, steal Richard's horse, which nobody ever seems to notice why he has Richard's fancy horse. Um, and so he poses as this person, Robert Loxley, in order to get back to England. He poses as... Uh... Robert Loxley, um, because obviously nobody knows what knights look like. Uh, he's like, yeah, must be okay. I mean, they don't really have photos, and he's been gone for a while, I guess is the theory behind this. I think that's exactly what they're thinking. Um, although later on, he does meet people who definitely knew him um, and still don't seem to to understand. Like, I mean, when he meets William Marshall, like William Marshall clearly implies... I remember you. <laughs> like, right. Like, do you? And you can kind of tell William Marshall's maybe not too on board with this. He's looking at him and like, uh, Robin kind of... Kind of weird. He looked kind of weird. Uh, but he figures it out. Um, and 
he brings back the news that the king died because that's what you would do. Like it would fall on random soldiers or even random knight to bring back the crown and tell the queen mother, uh, your son's dead. Which I mean, is... I guess somebody has to. And if they were actually supposed to be his personal guard, that's at least not the most egregious thing that happens in this movie in terms of accuracy. The king is dead. Long live the king. That's probably true. But then we do get to what I think is the most egregious thing in terms of accuracy (laughs) in this movie. We get introduced to Sir Godfrey. And Sir Godfrey is currently in this movie organizing with uh, King Philip of France to invade England. Um, yep. Why? What is going on? Is this tr- is this a real war that happened? So there are wars essentially on and off all but constantly between France and England. But all of the wars are over the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, England owns a ton of what is now France. So Normandy belongs mm-hmm. to the kings of England, Aquitaine, where Eleanor is from, Anjou, which is where Richard and John's father is from, Brittany. There's a ton of France that is essentially vassal states of the kings of England. And uh, so this is something that the French kings are not super happy about. And so there are a lot of wars over that, essentially. The French have zero interest in invading England. They don't want England. They would like the English kings to stay in England and leave them in France alone. The French do once invade England about 15 years after this, but only at the the invitation of pretty much all of the barons because the barons hate King John so much. And it does also really seem like the French are just taking advantage of a good opportunity rather than genuinely being super excited about taking over England. So there is never a plan. Back to to your island, dudes. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so this is what Godfrey's organizing with Philip. Um, They do so in English, which, uh, as we've talked about before, is highly inaccurate and is not something that would have been going down at the time. Uh, there's no way in hell, I think you wrote down, um, I remember you texting me at the time saying, there isn't a snowball's chance <laughs> that Philip spoke English. Richard right? barely spoke English. Yeah, but they have this lovely conversation in English and then they eat oysters and um, obviously oysters, as we all know, is the sexiest of foods. Um, but I spend, they eat yeah. oysters, yeah, Prince Philip is shucking them himself, gets a little bit of his blood into one and then gives it to Godfrey. Godfrey eats it with the blood in it because, you know, we have to have some sort of weird shit going on. But would uh, would people have been eating oysters back in this time? So I spent 20 minutes doing research on oyster consumption in the Middle Ages. Okay. As, as we, as all, we do. all do. Um, so oysters were, in fact, a food that rich people would have really liked to eat. Um, fish was a pretty high... Oh, so different to now, Sarah. So, uh, but there is a difference. Uh, fish, in general, is pretty high prestige, especially because you have all of these days where, because of Catholic dietary restriction, you're not allowed to eat meat. So if you're rich, you instead get to eat fish. Um, uh, and, you know, so especially something like an oyster would be definitely a kind of high-status food. But you would not have been sitting, shucking, and eating raw oysters. You would have been cooking the oysters in various elaborate preparations. So um, I found an example of a recipe which is from France, but a little bit later, from I think it was 1300, where the oysters would have been cooked in a gravy that involved pepper, saffron, and almonds. 
And something like that would have been pretty typical, something very highly spiced. They really liked spices in the Middle Ages and uh, combinations of a ton of different kinds of spices and are not really into the, oh, let me taste the marine flavor of this particular oyster and how it's different from the marine flavor of this other oyster from this other part of the water. Um, That's very much a modern, I would say, coding somebody as a kind of rich foodie but not how you would have eaten yeah. oysters in the Middle Ages. That's it. If I was going to code somebody as a foodie, that's exactly how I'd do it. Oh, this oyster is slightly different. But um, <laughs> just for people listening, if you're going to eat oysters, one, eat them raw, two, drink them or drink a Guinness with them. And it's a perfect combination. It is. Um, I, well, I mean, this is very few times where <laughs> the Guinness is not the perfect combination. <laughs> uh, although I have been introduced to sour beers by uh, my lovely co-host. And um, yeah, so I'm all about sour beers now. I wonder how um, they would go with oysters, yeah. though. <laughs> Cares. <laughs> I'd eat the oysters and then just wash everything down with some sour beer. <laughs> but we then have to get some more classic Robin Hood story. And the classic Robin Hood story is that the Sheriff of Nottingham, played by Matthew McFadden, is a dick. Um, and he gets to do dicky stuff. And what he's doing is he's trying to impress Max Van Sado into... I'm not certain. Does he want to marry Marion? I think he wants to marry her and he also wants them to pay more taxes, I guess. Yeah, and I think he's like, if I marry her, I'll go easy on you in the taxes kind of situation. Yeah. For. And, you know, oh, he's, he's almost running the protection racket. Like, oh, if you marry me, then these random soldiers won't come around kicking over your horse carts anymore. But that whole thing um, also is a bit odd because so Marion is not Walter's, lock, is not Max von Sydow, Walter's daughter. It's his daughter-in-law. Nope. And as far as everybody knows, her husband is still alive and rules about bigamy are pretty strict in medieval Europe. Marion, why, oh why, do you make an enemy of me when you have the means to make me your protector? What means? <laughs> if you leave now, I will lengthen your life by not telling my husband of your visit when he returns home. Your husband, after ten years? If he's not dead, he's rutting his way through the brothels of the Barbary Coast. Not if you're the Sheriff of Nottingham, because as we all know, in a much better movie we'll talk about in the future, that dude can cancel Christmas. He can, but so apparently he can also get papal dispensations at the drop of a hat. But I guess since nobody takes religion seriously, they don't have to. He can cancel bigamy. (laughs) That's actually what's even better. He's like... Cancel bigamy, you to my apartment at nine and you at nine fifteen. Like this is this is perfect. Exactly. But um also I can't wait to talk about Robin Hood Prince Steve. But um So much fun. We also meet Friar Took uh Friar Took. <laughs> the great Friar hero Took. of Lord of the Rings, Friar Took. Yeah, Friar Took. Uh, but Friar Took is drinking and uh I think he might even swear at this point. Um he seems like an amazingly accurate historical portrayal of a friar sir would you agree with me that he is 100 particularly accurate as a friar there are so many things wrong with the accuracy level of friar tuck first of all he is clearly being presented as a franciscan friar the year at this point is 1199 1200 the franciscans are not founded until 1209 and don't show up in england until the 1220s so there's that problem he's ahead of his time yeah, Literally. yeah, he's ahead of it. He's just he went back in time from like twelve thirty, um, uh, and is just this, that's, and that's also why he doesn't you know have other friars around. It's just him. 
Mm-hmm. because he's, you know, went back in time from the year 1230 and is now this Franciscan friar who was all alone in 1200 waiting for the rest of his order to come into existence. This is true. I, <laughs> you know, he's played by Robert Baratheon and he's drinking like a thing and he he loves his bees, like his bees are his family. Like He does in fact say at some point, the bees are my family. <laughs> the bees are my family. I'm a procreator by design. He's, he's, oh God, it's not even, I don't even want to, to talk about so, it. So, yeah. <laughs> we cut back to Robin. Um, Robin Longstrike, now called Robert Loxley. Um, he's, because he's, he's filling in and pretending and he's got Robert Loxley's sword. And it's him who comes back and he gets to tell Eleanor of Aquitaine, John, Isabel, who's now publicly with John. And I, like, that happened pretty quick as far as I can see. Um, and William Marshall, that the king is dead. Obviously, John and Isabel are fucking thrilled about this. Eleanor is not thrilled. Richard was her favorite. Mm-hmm. And he's passed away. And and I think it's really well done that she genuinely looks upset. And it she genuinely looks upset when it dawns on her that John is now going to be king. It's like she genuinely doesn't know which is worse. The fact that her much beloved son is dead or the fact that John has to be king now. Yeah, she and it's really well acted by Eileen Atkins. She's like, what? Oh, you can almost hear her going, balls. But of course, it's her son and she has to support him. So it's also, you can clearly see that she's trying to put on a whole good, of course, my son, I will support you face. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's so good. She's very, really, really good. Um, and Robin, uh, or Robert, as we're going to call him now, uh, sneaks off with the king's horse, which looked like a really good, fine white horse. But he's he's smart. He understands that William Marshall might have twigged that it's not him because William Marshall obviously remembers people that he's met. Right. Um, unlike everybody else. And he's, and he's like, there's something slightly different about you. And then, uh, then he just buggers off on the horse. Um, at this point, John then decides to go full evil villain because um, uh, up until this point, he was just like, buffoon who likes to bang pretty french birds and cheat his wife now he's like yeah time to collect as much tax as we possibly can his wife tells him it's a bad idea william marshall tells him it's a bad idea he still does it anyway his mother tells him it's a bad idea did you say you were from nottingham your father sir walter owes tax to the crown My crown. Tell him it's bloody expensive running the country and everyone's got to pay their way. We'll start with this. Exactly. He doesn't listen to her because, you know, why listen to the woman who is incredibly uh, talented and pretty awesome, even in this movie where she's almost sidelined a little bit too much as far as I'm concerned. And basically ruled the kingdom for the last 10 years. Of all the people... He chooses. He chooses the clearly a real character, Sir Godfrey, um, to go out and collect all the taxes. And what Godfrey decides to do is, uh, let's just murder some peasants. Yeah, so I think his plan is that he's trying to just gratuitously murder people while collecting taxes so that they will then rise against King John and therefore make it easier for the King of France to invade. This is... First of all, an unnecessarily convoluted plan. Second of all, it is very much a just, 
look, they're so violent. It's the Middle Ages. Everyone's just getting murdered all the time. And my third problem is that if this movie had the courage of its convictions, it would at this point be talking about the fact that John is also trying to squeeze money out of the Jewish communities of medieval England, who in the year 1210, I looked it up, paid 44,000 pounds in taxes, uh, plus a bunch of loans that were almost definitely never going to get paid back. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know any of this. Um, so, yeah. But that's not mentioned in the movie. No, there are what no Jews in this with? movie. There are no mention. But we are left with petulant... Or petulant... Jesus. <laughs> a petulant King John um, basically throwing hissy fits all over the place. And then he fires William Marshall, which as, you know, because William Marshall has the balls to tell him, this might not necessarily be a good idea what you're doing here. You can't squeeze money out of uh, somewhere where there is no money. And he fires him because that also happened, I believe, sir. Yes, yes. Didn't he fire... He did not. William Marshall served John for the entirety of his reign, having previously served his brother and his father, and then also served his son, Henry III, until his death. Marshall, you served my brother faithfully and my father before him. I think you've spent enough time with my family, and no doubt would like to spend more with your own. Therefore... And with regret, I accept your resignation of all your offices in matters of state. I don't understand this. It's like this movie is going out of its way to be inaccurate. I feel like I'm working so hard to find things that aren't wrong in this movie. (laughs) There seems to be a lot of stuff that's wrong in this movie. So, Robin and his buddies, right? He's picked up a little group of men with him. They're almost merry men. They're very, they're very merry they drink a lot, at they least. Are very they do drink a lot. Um, and they managed to show up in Nottingham because he said he's going to deliver this sword to um, Robert Loxley's dad. And Robin of Longstride is a man of his honor. He's a man of his word. So he says he's going to show up. But they bump into Friar Tuck. Uh, Friar Tuck. <laughs> Friar Tuck. 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 Friar Tuck is the name of the character. I've read about him a million times in my life. Why can't I pronounce him? <laughs> but he shows up and they meet Friar Tuck. Uh, Friar Tuck is drinking and seems a bit embarrassed about this, but it's not true. Um, he's making his own mead, I think, is what is implied. Yeah, because he has his bees, who are his family, um, mm-hmm. and is making honey. And when bees make honey, and so then honey is used to make mead. This is very normal. There are, in fact, still Trappist breweries today, which are breweries that are run by entirely by monks. Pretty much all, or not all, but, well, pretty much all monks in the Middle Ages are producing something, and a ton of them are producing wine, beer, or mead. Yeah, like the most famous of all the monks, Dom Perignon, who created Champagne. And he was a monk, and that's what he was. Mm-hmm. True story, sir. Mm. You can you can check up the historical accuracy and that's another point. But <laughs> it might not be true. I may, I, I was, I was gonna say that. that that sounds wrong, but I haven't looked it up, so I may have just made that but up. But what I can <laughs> definitely say is West Fletteran twelve, which is considered one of the best beers in the world, is a um, beer made by a Trappist brewery. So that is actually a monk made beer. That's true. And um, myself and Sarah have had a, a slight conversation with this. This is a little bit of an aside. Uh, I think that's a sweet, sweet 
piece of shit beer. And Sarah's like, oh, no, it's very complex. And I really enjoy it. I'm like, no, it's too sweet. It's very sweet. Yeah. It's a good dessert beer. It's, yeah, it's also a good idea as a beer that I would give to somebody else. And they'll be like, oh, wow, you give me a really expensive beer. And I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go drink something else, which is more entertaining. But anyway, um, Walter, uh, that's Maid Marion's uh, father-in-law, is in his house when our friend, our friend, our, oh <laughs> our friend, Robin Longstride, shows up, sits down and have a conversation with him. Um, he has a little bit of a witty banter with Maid Marion uh, when they show up. And Walter's all like, well, Walter's blind for one thing. Right. And he's all like, hey, hey, uh, my kid's dead. And I know you saw him there and he gave you a sword and stuff. But have you ever thought about pretending to be him? Yeah. So uh, he is so on board, I guess, just because he decides it would be more convenient for his son to not be dead uh, to propose a wife swap, life swap, the Robin Hood edition. That's very kind. Well, you haven't heard the other half of my proposal yet. I want you to stay in Nottingham and, for the time being, become my returned son. And therefore, Marion's spouse. Oh, that's enough. No, listen, too much listen, to drink. listen. We both know that without a husband, you will lose this land. When I die, do you dispute that? It is so weird. Life swap, wife swap. Here's Kate Blanchett. What do you think of her? She's pretty good looking. Yeah, yeah? you want to yeah, you you like be married this? to that like lady, right? She's yours. Hey, go over. I know she's used to go from kick the tires a little bit. She's a good quality. It's good quality. <laughs> Robert, Robert barely drove her. Like, I mean, it is... First of all, I'm on board with the fact that it's Max Van Sider's idea, right? He's like, yeah, let's do this. Like, yeah. if you don't, we're going to lose some of the land because I'm going to pass on. My son needs to be alive. I'm, I'm assuming there was some sort of hereditary issues. Right. I mean, so they don't have Robin and Robin, Robert and Marianne didn't have children. And I would bet Robert did not necessarily make a will. And I would have to double check all of the rules, but I'm not sure you could necessarily very clearly leave the estate to your wife in England. You can in some other places, but I don't think you can in England. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the whole thing, yeah, could be quite problematic if she was, uh, if he was in fact dead. Right. So, effectively, they've decided to pretend that it's Robert, despite the fact that there are lots of people in the town and surrounding area who would know that he's not Robert. But none of them seem to notice, which, okay, I will say, and now I'm really trying so hard to find things that are not wrong about this movie, but Mm -hmm. there is a um, actually pretty well-known... piece of historical writing um, about a case from the 15th century called The Return of Martin Guerre, which is also a movie that maybe we could do one day. And in The Return of Martin Guerre, the point is that it's this guy who basically returns after, in that case, it's like 50 years, or it's not 50 years, but like 20 years or something like that of being gone, and then shows up and all of a sudden is like, hey, my wife, here I am. But then there's is a question of whether or not it's really him, but he's been gone long enough that people aren't quite sure when he says it's him that it's not him. Yeah, that sounds interesting and probably more interesting than this. But the most important thing and the really interesting thing with this here is that from this point on, Robin Hood is wearing patent leather trousers. He is definitely wearing patent leather trousers. I can't even pronounce patent, so it's patent. <laughs> I think that's a, I think Shiny I think that's like leather. an American Irish thing. I don't think that's 
Yeah, it might be because it's a word we don't use because Irish people don't wear patent leather <laughs> patent leather. We're like, no, that's too shiny. What do I look like? Some sort of foreigner? But no. Not uh, even on shoes? Yeah. Obviously not on trousers. <laughs> no, not even on shoes. <laughs> not on trousers and probably not on shoes. I like to have a, a nice dull kind of black leather. But anyway, my dad, he was a soldier. He would have shined those sh- things right up. But anyway, Kate <laughs> Blanchett is not too happy about this. Um, she's like, no, what? No, this is weird. Walter's like, yeah, I got a new son. I wasn't even too fond of Robert in the first place, apparently, because he's all straight in with them, my son. Anytime, like even when they're yeah, alone, yeah, he is so committing son, to like. this bit. <sighs> so Robin starts stealing from the rich, but rather than stealing from the rich, he starts stealing from the church. Yes, which you know might not necessarily be because, as you said, back in these days, people were actually really behind the church. People were, and obviously people did uh, sometimes, you know, have concerns about the wealth of the church. This is, however, definitely not a reasoned critique of the wealth of the church. Instead, you get a bishop who clearly just is trying to squeeze as much money out of everyone as possible, and everyone completely knows this and assumes the bishop is hypocritical and no one has any respect for him whatsoever. And you have our good friend Friar Tuck, who at this point says... I'm not one of those churchy friars. I'm not a churchy friar. Never was. He's not a churchy friar, which, by the way, that's going to be my way of describing any man of religion that we come across in the movies. He's So we come across a priest, he ain't a churchy priest. Nope. Um, we might even start adapting it into describing other ways of, uh, or other jobs for people. So if we come across a blacksmith who's not doing a particularly good job as a blacksmith he's he's not a very smitty smith right and we'll see how things go like that there but i'm not a churchy friar is a brilliant quote. it is a brilliant quote that literally never would have been spoken by a single individual in the middle ages but what's really interesting about this is we get an awesome and i mean awesome introduction into robin hood's name Sarah, why does he become robin hood because he's wearing a hood so he's Robin of the Hood, because he put on a hood. I demand to know who you are! We are men of the Hood. <laughs> Marry now at your expense. I hate this so much. Yeah, it's, it's weird. But he gets back with his money after giving some out to the local populace. And... He goes upstairs to bed and have to share a room with Marion. And she's obviously turned on by the hoodie look. His leather trousers. It's a it's a sexy, sexy outfit. That's what I like my men to wear. I'm sure he's got an asbo. Um and she is like just watching him sleeping. Like it's It's a little creepy. A little creepy, is it? I mean you you do you, Kate Blanchett, but it's it's a bit creepy. It is very creepy. But during the entire time that this has been going on, we have Godfrey, and he's been inciting the barons to rise in rebellion against King John. Yes. Something that John, as you pointed out to me, because again, this wouldn't be necessarily an actual, my knowledge of these 
things tends to come from movies and, and the odd book, but obviously you're an expert in this. And you were telling me this is something that John actually managed to do himself. He didn't need Sir Godfrey. Yes, I mean, it took him a few years longer, but he definitely managed to get all of the barons to rebel against him um, in the next about 15 years. Uh, just by being King John and by exacting all of these taxes, not even in an especially brutal manner, but just in a, I'm the king, I expect you to pay me a lot of money. Yeah, it's it's pretty weird. Now, Eleanor of Aquitaine um, knows that this is bad, right? Um, she's got a pet owl, which she's feeding, and it looks really awesome. She is so cool. Um, I want to be her when I grow she, up. She starts to give out... <laughs> I want to be her when I grow up. <laughs> She starts to give out to King John, and King John's obviously, nah, I'm not listening to you. You're just my man. Right. Because right. um, he's a petulant little sexy Oscar Isaac. So she takes aside Leah Seydoux, the very beautiful Isabella, and says, hey, you might want to, like, stop John from being a cockbag. My son has an enemy in his court, closer to him than any friend. English traitor, a paid agent of France. Why are you telling me when you must tell the king? It is you who must do that. Tell King John that you've had word from France, from Philip himself, if you like. Why not tell him the truth? That William Marshall... Oh, a mother he mistrusts, bearing the word of a man in dishonor. No. If you wish to be queen... You must save John and England. So this conversation, I kind of want to listen to again. It might not matter because uh, Leah, because uh, I, you might be right that it never actually says her name and therefore she's technically not a named female character. But I mm-hmm. actually was wondering if there's any chance this conversation actually passes the Bechdel test because they talk about the war for at least two mm-hmm. lines, I think. Well, I'll, I'll check. Um, yeah, we'll go, I'll go back and check. I might even play the entire conversation here because it's only 45 seconds worth of conversation right. anyway. So it might pass the Bechdel test, uh, which would be probably the only good thing about this movie. And it does undoubtedly um, pass the Ipsch-Decker test because even without Isabella having a meme, there are at least two surviving named female characters. Oh, because um, me and Marion survived. Yes. So, yeah, it definitely passed the F-Decker test. John, because he's been listening to his very pretty wife, uh, realizes that Godfrey has betrayed him and he needs to go and get the barons under control before France can actually invade this, you know, invasion that definitely, really, super definitely happened, Sarah. Yep, that um, real invasion of England did, that the French did. The French definitely wanted to have England. They wanted that land, which is pretty much... I don't know if you've ever been to England. I've been. It's shit. Um, but, uh, yeah, even now. So imagine it was back then. England um, was a backwater so in the Middle understand. Ages. Nobody cared that much about England. Yeah, not even Ireland. We were a land of saints and scholars. We were looking over at those British people going, look at those squabbly little dirty men. Um, just a little secret. Uh, just going to speak on behalf of Europe here. We were all happy Brexit got voted on. Fuck <laughs> off, England. I don't give a shit. Give us back Scotland. They seem like good, hardy drinkers. You take the rest of those people away with yourself. We don't care. Also, fun fact, it is because of petulant King John that the British conquered England. Or Ireland. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes, that the British conquered Ireland. It was Henry II, his father, who was very concerned that John didn't have any land coming to him because at that time he had three brothers. 
And so he said, I guess I'll just fuck off and conquer Ireland so John can have some land. Good. Now, at this point in the movie, we get to one of my favoritest things <sighs> I've ever seen in a movie. It's where it turns out that he wasn't Robin of Loxley, which we all know before. He was Robin Longstride. And Longstride is an actual name. And between Sir Walter and I think Henry Marshall might be involved in the reveal of this as well. I can't remember exactly how it goes in the movie. Oh, it definitely is there around at the end. Yeah. He might be for a sec, right? It, no, it is. Yeah, it definitely is. Right. Because the two of them are there. It's just before Walter gets killed. Spoiler alert. Right. Robert Max von Sydow doesn't make it through this movie. They reveal to Robin that his dad invented democracy. Yep. And they do so by telling him to go to a particular place and finding a plaque which is written in perfect modern English and dedicated to his dad saying that he basically... Uh, I, no, I'm going to let Sarah make this go because it's pretty damn brilliant. Your dad was a stonemason and a visionary. You need to know what I know. Your father was a stonemason. Is that pleasing to you? Yes, it is. But he was more than that. He was a visionary. And a visionary. And he really uh, and he, was a visionary uh, since he apparently managed to invent not only constitutional democracy, but also, I think, communism. I think he pretty much does. All men are created equal, empower every man, liberty by law, etc. These are all stuff that apparently Robin's dad, uh, Mr. Longstride himself, John Longstride, I think he calls him. Maybe, yeah, that um, sounds right. Is, yeah, is in fact the guy who invented this. Now, Sarah, I believe that the document that he penned or that we're claiming to pen is what most of us would recognize or have heard of as the Magna Carta. Yes, so we will talk a bit more about how this is not at all what the Magna Carta is. But uh, for now, let it suffice to say that Robin then basically talks King John into agreeing to write the Magna Carta um, in order to get Mm -hmm. all of these people who are rebelling under control so they can all fight the French together. Um, This is a document that seems like a weird combination between the Declaration of Independence from the United States and the Communist Manifesto. Um, And is also about 15 years too early. If your majesty were to offer justice, justice in the form of a charter of liberties, allowing every man to forage for his heart, to be safe from conviction without cause or prison without charge, to work, eat and live on the sweat of his own brow, and be as many as he can. And that king would be great. Not only would he receive the loyalty of his people, but their love as well. Uh, imagine it's too early. But we do get one of the best lines in the movie where he's like, we are sh- not sheep to be made mutton of. Like, Because, you know, that's a phrase we all talk about. Yeah, and then he also at some point I think says something like, Uh, King John says something like, oh, do you want every man to have a castle? And he's like, every man's home can be his castle because we are all equal. 
nobody, even peasants didn't <sighs> think everybody was equal in the Middle Ages. No. Peasants just wanted to be almost... treated slightly less like shit. Nobody thought they were, they didn't think they were equal. It's almost as bad as, I think it was last night's, where we had somebody say an attack on the king's guards is an attack on the king, which is right. No, that's not. <laughs> that's not true. Never was that was that a true thing. But we then find out that uh, Godfrey in is continuing to kill loads of people around Nottingham. He attacks uh, the village of Nottingham, kills a bunch of people. Sheriff of Nottingham tries to change sides in a delightful little scene. He's like, "Put I'm French on my mother's side." That was um, a pretty solid line. It's pretty funny. That's a pretty solid line. Um, I'm French on my mother's side. Friar Tuck convinces his bees to attack. The bees are his children. Amazing. Um, everyone goes for sanctuary in the church, which again is ridiculous. Uh, well, it's that they kind of go into the church, but they don't seem to actually be asking for sanctuary, and the French don't seem to understand what sanctuary is. It's, none of it's, it makes any it's sense. It's just a disaster. Uh, Walter um, is blind and ends up getting killed because, you know, whatever, he gets burnt because that's what we do and nobody understands that you bury bodies because of some idea that you need to turn back into a living person in heaven or something and you need your body for that. But no, they decide to burn him. Um, what I do think is very interesting about this particular action scene is Robin and his merry men show up and all of them have a, a bow and arrow except the one member of Robin Hood and the Merry Men who should have a bow and arrow, that would be Robin Hood, people. He does, however, announce that he loves Marion, which is very convincing because they have known each other for about 48 hours and have zero chemistry. Yeah, and just zero chemistry is probably being generous to how much chemistry they have. Uh, I believe it's negative chemistry. I think they're actually taking away from the chemistry of other people who are in the room. And there's a good chance that several other couples actually separated just by being in the presence of these two people with the zero chemistry. It's true. Actually, I think they might. I think actually just by their hatred of each other, she, uh, they managed to just cock block all of the other merry men at a party. Yeah. that's. I, I think they actually did. <laughs> I think that like, actually did happen. Merry men are like, I'm totally about to get it all. And then uh, Russell Crowe, Robin Hood, Robert Loxley, whatever he wants to call himself at this point, right? Johnny no mates, right? He's wandering along like, oh, I'm all grumpy because Marion won't bang me. <laughs> and then like Will Scarlet's like, but I'm the handsome one. Despite the fact in this movie, he's not particularly no. handsome. But he's like, I'm the handsome one. And I'm going to start chowing down on this lady because I think that's what's implied he wants <laughs> to do. And um, and then that doesn't go anywhere because he has to go and talk to Robin. Yeah. But anyway. Robin, Robin's just done. bumming them out. It, he really is. But they've got to the point where the barons are on the side of King John but the French are still going to invade. So King John gets uh, a particularly weak-looking force to come and fight the French. The French who are landing in a scene which looks like it's ripped straight from Saving Private Ryan. But in reverse, they have, I guess. In reverse. But they have landing ships and boarding. Like, yeah. There's no way these things existed back in... Yeah, in the Middle Ages, like they couldn't possibly. Have. Also, King Philippe is very seasick, just kind of gratuitously during this entire scene, which I feel like is a weird way to kind of try to mock his masculinity or something, and it weirded it, me it's out. It's definitely done that way. Yeah, it is. It's it's an uncomfortable 
an unpleasant way to do it. It's like, oh, look at the bad guy. He's French and he's a bit of a fop. And like, yeah, and that's very much what they're going for. And it's kind of icky. Yeah, so Robin is there. He's with King John at this stage because he's the king. Um, that's what his name is. I don't know why I stumbled <laughs> over calling him King John because he would be. Um, but he's with King John and they decide to go and fight on the beach, which looks like it could be a pretty cool action sequence. Marion shows up because, you know, she's good with the old battling with swords and she stuff. She knows how to war, um, like all women. She knows and how And because to war. she believes she's equal, good. like all women in the Middle Ages, she also thought that she could go be in the battle. This is my yeah, thing uh, about women in medieval movies being modern feminists plopped into the 13th century. That she clearly is like, I have those equal rights and I get to fight if I want to. Women didn't say that. No, of course not. No. This is where we then have to sow the seeds for a potential sequel. right? And in order to sow the seeds for a potential sequel, we have to have a reason for conflict between Robin of Loxley and King John. And obviously, at this point, they're all on board with each other. However, King John, the penchant, sexy king, uh, spots that Robin Hood is really good with that sword and the men seem to respect him. He's going to take my crown. It's like a, it's a logical leap that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, who would want, even assuming that he's a knight and a noble rather than literally no one, nobody's going to go up to him and say, oh, you should be king now instead of this guy who is the brother of the previous king and the son of the king before that. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't have happened like in that King Arthur movie we watched where despite the fact he was cuckolding King Arthur after King Arthur died, it was like, yep, you're king now, <laughs> that's that. But um, John gets really passionate. He joins the fight. Um, Robin has to save uh, Maid Marion um, because she's obviously in there and she nearly drowns or whatever and he like kills uh, he kills the sheriff. He kills Godfrey um, in, a, in a sword fight um, or beats him in a sword fight. Then Godfrey's getting away and then we get Robin firing an actual arrow Yes, finally. Which is great for the first it's like it's like that and it is a really good shot. It's really impressive and, and he shoots up the arrow. And that's that's good. I actually quite enjoyed that bit. He also saves King mm-hmm. John. Um the war is over, the French run away like a bunch of wimps. Philip is vomiting as he signs or shout or shouts for a retreat. Because again we have to show that he's not manly like a good old King John. And we're all finished and we're ready and we're about to sign the Magna Carta. But then King John sets fire to the Magna Carta, which I guess from an accuracy standpoint is good because it shouldn't have been signed for another 15 years. <laughs> I'm really trying. I'm really trying to find something that's not wrong in this movie. I did not make myself king. God did. King by divine right. Now you come to me with this document, seeking to limit the authority given to me by God. Sire, you give your word. No. Sire, did I command you to speak, sire? Sir! John. Or you, madam. Sire, we look to you. Look to your estates instead. Um... And then declares Robin to be an outlaw. 
But as for Robin Longspine, that Mason's son, for the crimes of theft and incitement to cause unrest, who pretended to be a knight of the realm, a crime punishable by death, I declare him from this day forth to be an outlaw! To be hunted all the days of his life until his corpse unburied is carrion for foxes and crows. He's an outlaw and himself, Marion and the Merry Men run out into Sherwood Forest and that's when we realise oh my god this entire time this has been an origin story and we're totally going to get a sequel because this is going to make a ton of money and be super mega success no thank god I don't think I could handle another Russell Crowe as Robin Hood movie I I think I could Sarah I, think <laughs> I would listen to you rail against this movie all day every day <laughs> Who is this person? Why are they there? What are they doing this? But um, that's the end of the movie. Uh, King John retains his dickishness. Eleanor of Aquitaine is in that final scene and she's just kind of in the background going, oh, Jesus. You've got to be fucking kidding me. (laughs) You've got to be fucking (laughs) kidding me. Like shaking her heads. Like the shock on her face is like, what? and she looks at Leah Seydoux's character and you can tell the two of them are like, Oh, what and I think William Marshall is back at this point too, and she's also kind of like looking at him, and it's like, come on, what are you doing, you dick? Literally, no, there is no path to Robin of Loxley being king, and that's what he—it's he, clearly implied. That's what he's worried about, which makes no sense. Then, no sense whatsoever. We then get um, a lovely end credits animated sequence, which just shows lots of uh, you know. Muslims getting killed, lots of peasants getting killed, and, you know, it's a really, really lovely, uh, that's what I want for my animated um, trailer trailer sequences, credit sequences. It's just this very gratuitous, once again, look, things were violent in the Middle Ages, and so it gets to actually end on this uh, just completely pointless, completely unrelated to the movie image of a crusader knight murdering a presumably Muslim man wearing a turban. Yeah, it doesn't. It's weird. I don't know what was going on, but as I said, it's it's over. The movie's done, and uh, we can then get into our next section, um, which is where we talk about what they got right and what they got wrong, uh, what was there and what was false. Um, in a section called "There It False," and Sarah. <laughs> I was going to say, what did they get right about this movie? What did they get wrong about this movie? Everything. Um, <laughs> so there are two big things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, the first I have mentioned a couple of times just very briefly, but I wanted to refer to again the fact that people really did take religion seriously in the Middle Ages. People genuinely lived by the dictates of Christianity in the case of Christian in the case of Christians, Judaism or Islam in the case of Jews and Muslims, and genuinely believed. I mean, so not that every single person necessarily believed as much as they should have, and that there was no one who was at all hypocritical, but that religion was a really important part of people's daily lives, and that most people mm-hmm. were genuine believers. This movie very much seems to almost make a mockery of that, um, with lovely lines like, I'm not a churchy friar. Um, 
that just nobody at all seems to care in any way about Christianity or religious observance. Uh, Max von Sydow's weird being burned, uh, being cremated is definitely a kind of addition to that. Um, Friar's tu- Friar Tuck's just overt lack of any religious belief whatsoever really bothered me. The fact that nobody in this movie at any point seems to have any genuine relief and genuine religious belief um, was particularly blatant, I thought, in this movie. I, I can only imagine. But I can also imagine that they did get something really right. And what they got really right, clearly, is that the Magna Carta was... A communist manifesto, yes? No. The Magna Carta... What? What? Yeah, the Magna Carta was nothing like what the Magna Carta seems to be in this movie. The Magna Carta was all about basically the relationship between the king and the nobility, the barons. Um, It was only signed Mm -hmm. by the barons, and the vast majority of the provisions are things like land gets transferred via inheritance from, uh, you know a baron to his son upon his death without him having to pay a ton of money to the king. And, uh, you know, these are the rights that uh, you have uh, in ter- that, you know, a, a widowed noblewoman has in terms of getting her dowry. And uh, yeah. these are the rules in terms of how, of how and when and in what context the king can demand money from the barons. So uh, right, so it doesn't talk about like the common man having like castles. No, it has zero interest in peasants. It never says anything about equality. It doesn't even say the barons are equal to the king. It just gives the barons some new rights vis-a-vis the king. Um, uh, it certainly never pretends that anyone lower than the nobility has rights comparable to those of the nobility. And the closest you get to anything that is useful for the common man is uh, it does provide people the right to a trial. Um, so that would affect a kind of broader swath of people. Um, there are a couple of things that would uh, generally be good for uh, for commerce. So giving certain liberties to the city of London, um, certain rights to merchants, standardization of measurements on uh, wine and beer and corn, which would be probably beneficial to anyone buying those things, which would be most people. But really, the vast majority of it is very specifically about the relationship between the king and the barons. And it's the barons who are calling for it. The common people had nothing to do with any of this. And by the way, all joking aside about how England sucks and the French don't want it, it is because John then repudiated the Magna Carta that the barons, not the common people because they don't care, invited in the king of France. So a French invasion did happen, but it's about 15 years after this. It's only at the direct invitation of the barons, and due entirely to the fact that John pretty much told the barons to fuck off by repudiating the Magna Carta. So it gets the Magna Carta wrong, and also does something really weird with the whole French invasion thing. Right. So, totally accurate, it was about communism. Yes, they invented communism in 1215. (laughs) It's just, it's so... Like even I, I don't know as anywhere near about as much about the Magna Carta as as Sarah does, and I definitely haven't read it as recently as Sarah, who read it for the podcast. I did, which is I think is super impressive. Um, not something I would do. I don't speak Latin or read Latin, and uh, yeah. Whatever. To be fair, I, I did read the Magna Carta in an English translation. I will, I will acknowledge that I read the Magna Carta in translation. I didn't. Uh, if I, I did I'd not know that. I know. I did not dig up a uh, the Latin edition. Why was I sending props your way? 
I mean, I could have read the English one. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> could have, could have. Uh, I right. have read um, it about so, it before, but I didn't reread it. Rubbing it in. Look at my language skills. I can. I can. As this podcast has shown, this episode, I can't even speak English. <laughs> Freyer Took. Um, so that's what they got bad. The, the, the religion is all over the shop and like genuinely bad. Uh, their description of creating communism and they really do sell it as communism. Yeah. Um, is completely wrong. Uh, I don't imagine that there was somebody named John Longstride who uh, drafted the Magna nope. Carta. But there is something that you did get right and it's going to lead into our next section. But what can you tell me about Eleanor and John? And did they get that character, that relationship? Yeah, so that's my one thing that I managed to find that I feel like they really got right is the relationship between Eleanor and John. John is still not known as an especially good king. And Eleanor's job very much during Richard's reign was to kind of rein John in. And to some extent, that continued to be her job for the first few years of John's reign. Um, and she very much was the kind of much more experienced person. She had many, many years of being a ruler, both of essentially in practice England, as well as her own personal domains in Aquitaine. And uh, John was, in fact, it seems like a bit petulant and uh, not necessarily the most, I guess forward thinking in the sense of he didn't always necessarily plan ahead in the most intelligent way. So it was more a kind of, oh, I need all of this money right now and I'm not going to think about what the consequences are going to be. Yeah. Um, right. So what you're basically saying is that the movie did get right is that Eleanor Aquitaine had to put up with her son despite the fact that he was a king and you would have expected him to at least step up to the role, but he never did. He was just a petulant. Right. And also that he was definitely the least favorite of her sons. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they had to invade Ireland to give him his own land because they'd given out all the good places to someone else. That's coming from an Irish (laughs) lad. But like, if your choice is the area of Aquitaine or or Ireland, you want to be, you want to be the one who's running. And Aquitaine was for Richard. Yeah. Richard of Aquitaine, um, clearly doing good stuff. But that leads on to our next section. Because I know uh, Eleanor is your favourite historical character because you've told me loads of times. And you're like, I wish Eleanor got more time in the movie. So we're going to move on to talk about somebody from history, somebody who actually achieved stuff, somebody who was actually successful and good at what they did. So we're going to go to our next section, which is the truth story or the truth of a person through history. And it's a section called Historia et veritas. <laughs> so bad. Um, and we're going to talk about Eleanor of Aquitaine. Now, I know you love this woman, so I'm just going to sit down and listen to you talk because when you talk about her, it's I can see your eyes light up, your face starts glowing. You're like, I want to be Eleanor. So tell us all about how awesome Eleanor I love her. Is. She is my favorite. She was the queen of two countries. So she was her father's heir to his domains of Aquitaine and was very much a feudal lord. Um, this is actually one of the areas in which there is something not entirely, but almost approaching kind of gender equality is that women could essentially be lords of their domain and have the same rights that men would have. And so mm-hmm. she, as her father's heir, uh, because she was his, because he didn't have sons, was able to be that. Um, however, because, you know, 
the King of France very much wanted that property, she was married to the King of France, Louis VII, uh, the father of Philippe, our king, in this movie. Um, so she married King Louis. She actually went on crusade with him. She formally took the cross and was a crusader as a member of, as basically as the kind of feudal lord. And so she wasn't actually fighting, but the expectation was that she was the lord of her knights and that they would be fighting. Yeah. Um, so she went on. So she went on crusade. Yeah. So she was on the second crusade. Uh, This crusade was, however, a dismal failure, and because of sexism, she was in part blamed for it, um, being a Mm -hmm. dismal failure, despite the fact that uh, the issue is probably more that her husband was a shitty military leader. No. Yeah. Um, And she also, at around this time, even before they went on crusades, was not thrilled with her marriage and was trying to get an annulment. It could be relatively easy to get an annulment in the Middle Ages, especially if you were a member of the nobility, because according to Catholicism, Catholic doctrine, you cannot marry anyone who you are related to within seven degrees, which goes so far as like your fourth cousin or something like that. Yeah, which is really unfortunate because I got some fine ass fourth cousins. It was also... I mean, sorry, <laughs> wait, no, I didn't, I didn't say that. What are you talking it about? It was also really unfortunate for medieval nobility because you were related to pretty much everybody. I mean, there just weren't that many people to marry who were of appropriate status. But the benefit to that is that you could then pretty easily manage to get an annulment, especially if maybe you were not that enthusiastic about having gotten the proper papal dispensation in the first place. Um, So I think they actually had, but they still managed to get it annulled eventually, uh, which was very much Eleanor pushing for this annulment. Yeah, this is from her first husband. Yeah, so from her first husband, who was the King of France, Louis VII. Mm -hmm. Eight weeks later, she, um, after almost being kidnapped by some other people basically trying to marry her for her land, sent a message Mm -hmm. to uh, uh, to Henry of Anjou and arranged a marriage with him. So Henry of Anjou mm, was a good option, not only because he ruled the, or was uh, about to be ruling the, was the heir to the substantial lands of Anjou, but because through his mother, Matilda, he was uh, in the process of uh, laying claim to becoming the next king of England, since his mother really actually should have been queen of England, but for various reasons was not, uh, we won't get into all that, but she was pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, so only two years after they got married, Henry gets crowned Queen of England. So Eleanor has now in her lifetime been the Queen of France and England. Wait, Wait. you just said Henry gets crowned. <laughs> oh, I did. Uh, so he gets crowned King of England and she simultaneously gets crowned Queen of England because everybody knows she's definitely as cool as he is, if not more so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, Yeah. Um, they had a rather tumultuous marriage, although successful in that they had eight children. Um, her domains of Aquitaine consistently refuse to obey his authority and are basically like, no, she's our ruler. You're just her husband. We don't really care what you have to say, which is amazing. <laughs> and also probably true. Yeah. Cause I bet you he, she was way better at what she was doing than he was. He was, I, I don't want to be too, you know, mean to him. He was, I would say a fairly successful King of England in various ways. Um, uh, but you know, England was clearly his thing and Aquitaine was clearly her thing. Um, as I said, they had at various points a tumultuous marriage, which even extended to her fomenting rebellion against him, uh, with her sons. 
Okay, so they had eight kids, and then she decided to kick him out. So, uh, of the kind of oldest, the three oldest children, and the three oldest sons in particular. Uh, so Henry, known as Young Henry, um, Richard, who became Richard the Lionheart, and Jeffrey, who managed to very stupidly die in a fake battle. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, that's that's how he died. <laughs> yeah, he, that's how he died, yep. which is ridiculous. Um, Mm -hmm. but she incited them to rebellion against him. Um, John, it seems like actually eventually may have joined this rebellion or joined this rebellion, which was, you know, considered very upsetting to everybody because he was the only one who his father actually really got along with. Uh, the other boys really probably clearly liked their mother better, which obviously, um, however, eventually he did manage to, Henry managed to put down the rebellion and locked his wife in a tower for 16 years and prevented her from having contact with her sons because that was the only way that he could keep any control over her. 16 years? Pretty much. So she had a period toward the end of that where she could kind of leave under his supervision, basically. Um, uh, And in particular, he kind of needed her to sort of handle things in Aquitaine, but um, was sort of actively trying to keep her from having contact with uh, her sons, and in particular, you know, Richard, who was still alive at that point and then became king after yeah. his father's death. Lionheart, yes. yeah. Um, uh, Richard was uh, basically on and off gone for a lot of his reign, and during pretty much the entire time he was gone, the person who ruled England was Eleanor. And Eleanor, she... Yeah on the whole, did a pretty good job of it, including uh, having the kind of unfortunate situation to deal with of uh, Richard actually after crusade, after he was being on, after he was on crusade, got kidnapped by the Holy Roman Emperor and held for ransom. And so Eleanor had to manage to rule this kingdom while also raising a ton of money and taxes for her son's ransom, which is a pretty hard job. Yeah, Yeah, I imagine so, especially when I imagine a lot of barons wouldn't want to pay because... Oh, the king's gone. Why would we pay? Exactly. And uh, she managed to do this. And while I wouldn't say things were entirely 100% happy and peaceful, she managed to do this without (laughs) getting the barons to rebel to the extent that John would manage them to get them to do 15 or so years later. John was a petulant saphead. Yep. Um, So she did then, I would say, play an important role in keeping John under control during this particular period. Um, However, in the exact period that we are watching this movie, she was unfortunately not, in fact, in England. She was in Castile, in what is now Spain. Uh And she was there because in order to seal the peace agreement that had just been signed between England and France... She was supposed to have to um, basically arrange the marriage between Philippe's son, Louis the future Louis the Eighth of France, and one of mm-hmm. her granddaughters. So her daughter, also named Eleanor, had married the King of Castile. So at this period, she was going to Castile. Wow. Yeah. So she was connected to both the French, the British, and the Spanish. Yes, France. and I can't do it in my head, but I'm sure the marriage between. Uh, Louis and Blanche cannot possibly have not have been technically within not within the degrees Elite, of consanguinity, yeah. Um, yeah. especially also because of course Louis was the son of her first husband by his second wife, or maybe third. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, this gets complicated. it gets complicated. Um, but so she goes to Castile. Her job is to basically pick out one of her granddaughters to marry the future king of France. And the woman she picks, Blanche, 
um, or Blanca would have been her name growing up, um, but because she moved to France, she's known as Blanche. And Blanche of mm-hmm. Castile ends up, in fact, also being the regent for her son for a pretty long time because Louis VIII dies in battle while his son is, I think, basically a baby. And Blanche very much keeps things together as regent and keeps the kingdom safe for her son, the future Louis IX. <laughs> wow. So, and I imagine that uh, Eleanor was helping a lot during this time if she was in Castile. So she was, so she was helping a lot until right about uh, 1204, um, which is when she died, or I guess uh, in kind of 1202-1203, I think. Um, she was ill and mm-hmm. ended up uh, retiring to the monastery of Fontevraud, um, where she is today buried, as I believe are... I think Henry is there. I think Jean, I think John is there. I think Isabella, um, sexy Leah Sedou is also there. Mm-hmm. I think Richard might be there, or at least part of Richard. I think part of Richard is there. I think Richard is one of the kings who kind of got divvied up and is in different places. But divvied I think part of it, I think part right, of it is yeah. in Fontevraud. Hmm. Cool. Um, yeah. So that sounds like a woman who lived an incredible life, especially at a time when women weren't given the freedom that they are now. I mean, obviously, we we fixed sexism like clearly ages ago, um. But and she's like, yeah, I, I, it's it's amazing to me that she was able to achieve all of these. Yeah, things. and she's somebody who I think is really awesome because she is not somebody who I think you would describe as a kind of modern feminist plopped into the Middle Ages. I mean, I think she certainly had very no. much, you know, ideas about gender in the world which were relative to her own time but she also knew that she was a very successful and capable person and uh, that there were certain things that she personally did very well so not that she would have ever said that you know women should be equal or anything like that but she knew that Mm. she was the person who should be ruling Aquitaine she knew that you know she was the one who was able to keep control over her often wayward sons and yeah, yeah so she she knew what her skill set was and she wasn't afraid to tell people i am the best person for exactly yeah well well done. more people even in modern society should be like eleanor of aquitaine get out there and get some get exactly. yours and do do your job <sighs> actually that, she's super fascinating i kind of wish that i i knew more about her um are, are there any books specifically about eleanor that you would maybe might recommend for people? Yes, there's actually, I highly recommend um, a book by Eel Konigsberg. So it's a young adult book called A Proud Taste for Scarlet and Miniver, um, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting frame. It takes place, I guess, a century or so after Eleanor has died. Or mm-hmm. I, I, some, some, some unspecified amount of time after everyone is dead. And Eleanor is in heaven, and I believe with uh, certainly William Marshall is there. I can't remember who else is there, but it's Eleanor and a few other people in heaven um, who are talking about basically their lives and reminiscing about this, you know, long period of her life as they are waiting for Henry II, uh, her husband, to finally be released from purgatory, which has apparently taken much longer for him than anyone else. That's... uh... That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, everybody, we'll all get that. Maybe we'll cover that for the podcast. Yeah, and actually another quick recommendation regarding um, her yeah. story, and this is also something I, uh, that we'll hopefully cover for the podcast one day, is uh, the movie Lion in Winter. 
um, uh, is about her relationship with Henry in this period where she's locked in a tower after having fomented really after after having fomented the rebellion of her sons. I I've seen Lion in the Winter. I didn't realize it was sixteen years. She was yeah. in that tower. So I think that movie is when that she's is... already been in the tower for several years at least. Yeah, um, it's it's amazing to me. Um, and yes, we will definitely cover Lion in the Winter. It's a it's really a fantastic movie. movie. I mean, it it blows this movie out of the water, which now leads us to our next session. Which is what we would do if we were to come up with our own movie which has the same name as this one, right? Um, and we call this Fabula Nostra. Sarah, God. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> what would you make this movie about? I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Gonna okay. Guess. Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yeah, I actually just want this movie, except I'm going to cut Robin Hood out completely. So, yes. Completely. But we're still going to call it Robin Hood. So instead what we have is a movie about Eleanor of Aquitaine, so still played by Eileen Atkins, William Marshall is played by William Hurt, and Petulant King John, played by Oscar Isaac, and Sexy sexy Oscar Oscar Isaac, and... uh, Eleanor and William are trying to keep John in line at the beginning of his reign. And every now and then, while they're trying to do so, somebody will be like, oh, there's this guy, Robin Hood. He keeps stealing from all these rich people. We should deal with him. But nothing actually, like never have him on screen. No, you never have him on screen. And just all... That's the perfect way to cast Russell. Exactly. You just never see him. And so the entire movie is actually really just... As I said, William Marshall and Eleanor of Aquitaine trying to keep John in line and keep him from doing anything too stupid about this guy, Robin Hood. And Mm -hmm. while simultaneously trying to have him kind of walk the line because he's also trying to keep the barons from rebelling. This, I, you know, I'm on board with this because I think the scenes with Eleanor and William and John are by far the strongest scenes in this entire movie. And yeah, I would I would definitely watch yeah. it. <clears throat> now, I have a controversial idea. Okay, go for it. I would like to do a movie called Robin mm-hmm. Hood. And I would like it to feature... And I, I, I'm embarrassed with this, right? I would like to feature a character named Robin Hood. Really? Um, who steals from the rich and gives to the poor. It's a novel idea. Right? Uh it's a novel idea. I know what you're thinking. It sounds weird, right? But I've got some. I got some good ideas from. I want him to be Robin of Locksley. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> I don't know where I would get this concept from, right? So it'd be Robin of Locksley, and he gets very angry at seeing how the sheriff of Nottingham is is doing various mm-hmm. things, and he feels like he needs to rebel, but he doesn't want to go into open rebellion against the sheriff of Nottingham, who is representing King John, right. and is you know quite friendly and tight with King John. So he thinks the best way to do this is to become an outlaw and to live in the woods, Whoa. possibly in a forest, possibly in Sherwood Forest, right? Maybe he would dress in green. Would he have a bow and arrow? Maybe he would blend in trees. And this is the thing. In my story, the Robin Hood, mm-hmm. right, Robin Loxley, would be the greatest bowman wow. in the history of the world. It'd almost be like it would be his signature thing, right? And I was thinking, maybe, maybe you could have scenes where he's robbing from knights and it could be kind of hilarious and everyone would be having fun mm-hmm. and he's training up soldiers and he's training them to be good with the arrow. Maybe you could have King John... And the sheriff of Nottingham getting together and 
concocting a scheme to catch Robin wow. by maybe having an archery tournament and knowing that because he's the greatest archer, he'd go into the tournament. That's maybe he crazy. could go in disguise. This is this. I'm just saying it is. I know it's out there. I know it's out there. He could go in in disguise. He could win the archery tournament by splitting another arrow in two, showing how good he is. Shocking. With this. It's, it's, this it's is like, very original. I know nobody's ever thought of this. This is very original. It's almost like the character itself has a story that if I was watching a movie with the name that that, that character has, I would want to watch it. I mean, <laughs> at worst, I would like him to be played by an American. <laughs> um, maybe he could have a Moore, who's his best friend, played by another American. Um, maybe <clears throat> Maid Marion could be played by a Latino lady. Um, Mary Stuart Master Antonio. Um, <laughs> maybe Will Scarlet could be his long lost brother. This is starting to sound a little familiar. And also, could be played by I don't know an American Christian Slater. <laughs> um, oh, like so. What I'm trying to get across here is clearly I'm describing Robin Hood Prince Steve's a future movie that we're going to do, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible movie, and yet is still infinitely better at putting it really a Robin is. Hood story on two stage like if i want to watch a robin hood movie i want to see a robin hood movie i don't need to see a gritty reboot prequel which doesn't make any sense which is completely and utterly historically inaccurate i know robin hood wasn't a real person we all know this right but there are certain things that are based around that particular character and there's no point in changing and also it. if you're going to set something very precisely in a very particular time and place which this movie very much does it has a kind of opening title card the year is 1199 now we're in france we're about to go to england there are things that exactly. are historical realities about those times and places that one could gesture to slight accuracy about maybe yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. Like in the movie, they they clearly set up the time, place, and the conflict which is going on. None of it is right. No. And since we were watching that, and you were able to tell me that contemporaneously as the movie was going on, I'm assuming you're not the only medievalist in the world. No, there so, there are dozens I mean, of you're, us. You're the only you're the only medievalist in my world, sir. But you're not the only medievalist in their world. So surely somebody could have rang up, like I don't know, one of those good good colleges in america um like harvard maybe and they're probably going to have a medievalist on their they staff do. who would be able to answer questions yeah they right? they I could mean, there are people who have been hired as historical consultants though i know that there might be a history in certain other movies starring russell crowe of consultants being hired and then ignored but maybe these are movies we could do in the future. potentially like a beautiful mind, which is really <laughs> set in the medieval period. But that's what I would say. I would like a Robin Hood movie, which features Robin Hood and is about Robin Hood. And just to throw out casting there, <sighs> let's see. Who would I like to see? Uh, why not just say Daniel Craig? There we go. I would like Daniel Craig to play. Uh, He'd be Robin a good Robin Hood. Hood. He can have a five second cameo. In my Robin Hood movie that is not actually about Robin Hood at all. Robin Hood. Perfect. And then we can actually do it as a side yeah. story. And there are two Robin yeah. Hoods. Like um, like what Clint Eastwood, that piece of crap Republican, did a few years ago. Where he did Letters from Iwo Jima. Right. 
and flags of her father. So it was like the same events from the opposite yeah. points of view. So we could do two versions of Robin Hood. One could be called Robin Hood, and then the other one could be called Robin of the Hood. I don't know, whatever. We, we'll find We're something. not calling it Robin but, of the Hood. We're not calling anything Robin of the Hood. Nothing's ever going to get called Robin <laughs> of the Hood, if I'm right. right? So we get to our last section. I, I think we both come up with good ideas. You want a nice political drama. I want to have an actual Robin Hood story. <laughs> um, we get to the last thing where we're going to give a review. Now, I uh, know the score Sarah's got to give, and I'm not sure if I can agree with her. So we're going to get to our last thing, which will really sum up and what we think the movie is overall. Estimatio. <laughs> Sarah, we're definitely getting jingled. No, Please. no, um, this, is, this is really working. <laughs> it's not working. Um, Sarah, what do you think of the movie overall? Okay, so I'm actually going to do what you did last time, and I'm going to start at a five. And then I'm going to subtract points for things that drove me insane. (laughs) So let's say this movie is getting a five. Then it invents the French invading England. So that's down to a four. Then it decides that the Magna Carta is a combination between the Declaration of Independence and a communist manifesto. So that's going down to three. Mm Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. let's see then we have not a churchy friar and our general effort of obviously no one has any interest in christianity in 12th 13th century england so let's see now we're down to two <laughs> um and you know i'm just gonna go ahead and say i'm just gonna knock it down to one just because of russell crowe <laughs> <laughs> so i'm so it's a one I'm out giving of five maybe a one out of five okay um Right, so I think you're being harsh, Sarah. Am so I? I'm. I'm going to. Um, I'm going to list the things that I think the movie gets right. Okay. Okay. I laughed a lot, and I'm not a church. <laughs> it was a very funny line. So I'm going to give that a one out of five. Uh, I think Oscar Isaac does a great job. Of playing King John, so I'm going to bring that up mm-hmm. to a two. A two, I think the action sequences, all two of them, are done well. Um, uh, so I'm going to bring it up to three. I think Kate Blanchett is quite good as Maid Marian. Yes. So I'm bringing it up to Damn. four. But then I'm going to realize that the movie bored me to fucking tears. <laughs> And is several, several hours mm-hmm. long. I mean, I know it's two and a half hours a long. long. It felt like movie. it was 18 hours long. It felt like 18 hours long, Sarah. I am now going to drop it back down to a one out of five, which is the yes. perfect number to give it to. This is a one out of five. Do not watch this movie. Uh, listen to what we said. Listen to what Sarah said about Eleanor Vakertain. Watch The Lion. That's a winter. great movie. Read the book. And... Yeah, it's not good. Watch Robin Hood, Prince Steve's we're going to talk about. It. Yeah, I, I generally just feel like I should not have to work this hard to find something right about a movie that takes place in the Middle Ages. No. And it is also maybe not a great sign that the only scenes that I thought were good in a movie called Robin Hood were the ones that weren't about Robin Hood. It's, no, it's it's terrible, terrible movie. So I think we both agree that it's one out of five. <sighs> Sarah, recording that episode just reminded me of how terrible that movie was to watch oh my god it was so bad so let's move on 
Interesting. Sarah, would you like to tell people how they can get in contact with us? I would love to. So first of all, if you have been enjoying this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcasting platform. And also, if you have any feedback for us, we encourage you to get in touch with us via email. Our email address is media.evilpod at gmail.com. That's M-E-D-I-A dot E-V-A-L at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at MediaEvilPod, where I will occasionally tweet things relevant to this podcast and the Middle Ages. And I will never tweet because I do not know how. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me under my real name. So you can find me at Sarah H. Decker on either of those platforms. Um, and Ollie, where else can they find you on the internet? You can find me at my other podcast. I do one called Best Acquaintances with my best friend, Emily. Um, we are two people who've never met and we record interviews with people that we only know from the internet so we basically pick one of our friends that we know from various facebook groups we give them a skype call and we just talk to them about you know themselves and it turns out that everybody is interesting like people say oh i can't talk about anything there's nothing there's nothing interesting about me and then literally every single episode you'll find at least one or two nuggets of pure gold where people are telling you stories and it just turns out that they've they've lived pretty much amazing lives Every single person at some stage has done something extraordinary to the rest of us. It might feel ordinary to you, but it's extraordinary to people who aren't living through it at the time. Um, that's how myself and Sarah met. Mm -hmm. uh, hers is a very good episode, and it's, uh, it's really great. I recommend it to everybody. So it's called Best Acquaintances, and you can find us in the Best Acquaintances podcast group on Facebook as well, which is just full of nice people doing nice stuff. Absolutely. That's good. Next week, um, I think we're going to do... 1993's The Three Musketeers. Yes. So we are, um, I think this has been kind of alluded to before, but we are taking a slightly wide view of the Middle Ages and extending sometimes mm -hmm. back into antiquity and forward into the early modern period. So this will be our first foray into early modernity. And I'm looking forward to it because that's actually a movie that's a ton it of fun. It is a ton of fun. So we look forward to talking about it with you. Um, Ollie, this yeah, was fun as always, despite this movie being awful. Uh, it's a terrible movie, but it's always fun to chat with you, Sarah. So thank you very much, and we'll see you guys All right, next week. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.